2: You know what I
1: want. I want a man. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Extra Weekly Podcast. I'm your Samson folk and today joined by a colleague of mine at Raptors Public, fantastic young man. Somewhat like myself, I would say, in that we like to write about basketball and talk about it. Oren Weisfeld, how are you today, man? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me, Samson. Excited for the season to kick back off, or what? what is is a feeling of malaise? How are you feeling over there?
0: Uh, complicated feelings. Uh, the Raptors are playing the Rockets tonight, and I just saw that Wes, Harden, and Eric Gordon are all starting, so there's excitement there for sure. Um, but at the same time, it's just a little weird that sports are coming back in general. It feels like, uh, I think the NBA is bubble is definitely the best out of the sports coming back in terms of safety and whatnot, but it does feel a little weird that sports are coming back when the world is like it is.
1: And you wrote a piece suggesting that maybe this wasn't the right way to go. How do you feel now? Now that after they had that run of tests where they nobody had it, I believe, right? The July 13th run of tests, they didn't have a single positive test for coronavirus. Now the tests do have, there's a bit of error in them, so who knows? But as far as that's concerned, the bubble has worked somewhat. And they've been able to impose penalties on people who've broken it so far, if we're looking at Rashawn Holmes, etc. How do you feel about how it's been enacted is it important for it to be much better than just being the best out of the sports leagues? How do you feel about the optics currently?
0: Yeah, so when I wrote that piece, it was referring mostly to Kyrie Irving and, and his uh, movement, I guess, leading some players uh, who were advocating against playing due to social justice issues. Um, so it, it seems like the players uh, in general have thought that the best way to go is to go make the money you can make, have the platform you can have in Orlando, and then use those resources to give back to their communities. And I fully support that. Uh, With that being said, the reason I wrote that column in, in the first place was because I agreed with Kyrie in the sense that even if these players use the resources from this return to play as best they can, sports coming back is gonna be a distraction to the general public. That's just what sports are, and that's what a lot of people are, are looking forward, myself included, to be frank. Like, We want sports to be back because the world has been so crazy, and it's just gonna be a nice thing to relax and watch at the end of our days. But that is probably going to take away from some of the forward momentum of this movement. And so I, I've kind of pivoted to, okay, it's happening. Let's see what the NBA can do now in order to, you know, use this platform to actually educate the fans, to remind them about the context in which these games are being played, so that they're not just the distraction that sports are, but, but they're a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it is a little bit troubling just to see that their movements typically have a natural end point, and whether that comes after great success is, it's kind of dependent on how far it goes, but the momentum isn't kept up forever, and with a lot of police departments in the United States not cutting budgets with, for example, Bernie Sanders' Pentagon budget cut that was denied yesterday, with even Democrats voting against it, with the city of Toronto actually providing, I think it was $50 million extra towards their police budget. It seems like the movement has been fantastic at spreading awareness, but as far as accountability as far as getting things actually moving in legislation has not been able to start up the things that it was setting out to start up. And I don't think that's the fault of the movement maybe just what rigidity of the current monolith that we're kind of looking at that is the police force and what to do about it next where that goes from here. So it is if we're looking at, well this is tough to say, but if we're looking at Progress being halted regardless. Do you keep pushing? Do you hold off on sports to say? No, no, no We have to double down. We have to go much harder Or do you say we've hit kind of the end point? At least as a movement and your interpersonal connections your interpersonal work that you do is where you go from here Because you can't recreate this moment forever at some point. You have to look at yourself and say, okay, on my end as a person, I have to do the work specifically. I can't be, rarely does that manifest in every day in the streets, protesting every day in the streets. It transitions into something else. And is the NBA coming back, you know, a deterrent for that? Is it going to make it tougher for people in their interpersonal lives to keep pushing the movement forward in that their own way?
0: Do you know what I mean? No, for sure. I agree with a lot of the things you said. And, and, You know, like, I'm I'm naturally a pessimist, so I kind of hold the same view as you. But in conversations I've had with people, especially people of color, I don't think a lot of people see it that way in terms of, yes, there is not the big, grand change we wish to see. But there has been a lot of smaller changes uh, in police departments, in jobs, you know, letting go of their CEOs and replacing them in uh, companies making initiatives to hire more people of color and in so many types of things like this. So I I still think that this movement is still going strong, even though the protests on the streets have calmed down a little bit. Um, But no, you make a lot of good points. Like, it's, it's complicated and there's different ways to look at it and yes, it does seem very much like it is dying down, but I would think that some people would disagree with that and say that um, things are still very much happening, even though they're on a smaller scale.
1: Yeah, sorry. I don't mean to say that... Yeah, it's tough to, to discuss this, but I don't mean to say that it's dead or that it's no longer moving. Less media coverage. There's still a lot of people out there protesting to be seen, to be heard, and that's still going on. It's just the, the appetite for it in media, I believe, has gone away. And so the exposure that it's used to getting has received, it's just a lot less. And so that doesn't mean people aren't out there working. That doesn't mean it's still not operating on a smaller scale. But changes we had hoped to see, I think, or the the ideal changes that were supposed to come with this, I think have been largely ignored and have been exchanged for gestures of corporatism. I think that's, and I am a pessimist, so that's why it seems that way. So it, I guess that's how I feel about it, although that might be more pessimistic than it needs to be, and you bring up a good point as far as there are smaller steps being taken that are both meaningful and encouraging for people of color and black people in Canada and abroad. So... You know, there's things to like, of course, but mm-hmm. considering it was the largest political movement, grassroots movement since the civil rights movement, the meaningful change pales in comparison, I think. I don't know if that's wrong to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so too as of now, but I also think it's still going. And, and when we talk about the NBA and, and, like you said, the media appetite for this, I agree. it's It's dying off, but, like, The mainstream media and the people in power, this is what they want. They want us to start talking about the Lakers versus the Raptors as opposed to what's happening in the country, right? So that's my that's what it came down to with me saying I don't know about the NBA returning if that's such a good idea. But here we are.
1: Here we are. Talking about it on the basketball podcast. So hopefully
2: it's good that we're having
0: a little way. It's good that we're having these conversations on podcasts that generally wouldn't have these conversations. I think that's a huge part of the movement, just hearing these conversations everywhere and forcing people to have them. Yeah. Well, that's an astute point. I think that's maybe a decent point to jump off of it.
1: We we can circle back if we get back to it naturally. But I brought you on to discuss the upcoming schedule. We did touch on momentarily the James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Eric Gordon of it all. The Raptors play Houston tonight. Did you happen to watch the preseason game that they played in Japan against Houston?
0: Um, I I think I did, but I think my memory is so bad that I don't have much recollection of it.
1: Okay, well, the Raptors, pretty much, they got trounced in those games. And when we're talking about uh, Houston and James Harden just kind of in an empty gym going to work... I don't know what it'll look like because they've materially changed their team. It's very different taking out all big men, relying on the P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington of it all, and just asking those guys, hey, handle the big men enough on defense so that we can still maintain an advantage offensively. And they're always trying to ride that line. How do you think that turns out against the Raptors with, A Marcus All, Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, even OG Ananobi is big compared to a PJ Tucker, and a little bit bigger than a Robert Covington.
0: Yeah, I don't. I'm looking forward to this game. Like Houston seems to just have our names uh, for the past couple seasons, to be honest. And maybe part of it is just like the Raptors are such a good team defense. Uh, but Houston kind of forces you to just defend them one-on-one and like the Raptors have a team full of good one-on-one defenders but like no one can defend James Harden right so or really West- Russell Westbrook when he has some steam so Houston forces Toronto out of their comfort zone I think is what I've noticed by just not letting them run the same stuff that they're that they're used to and just being like all right defend us one-on-one and take turns and when they do that like Ibaka, Gasol, whoever it is, they're stretched out to the corners and and they can't have the same impact they usually have. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what Nick Nurse does tonight. Like, I think there's absolutely... uh, I think we will see, at least for parts of the game, him going really big and just seeing, like, okay, can you beat the Rockets this way? Can you get all the boards and and just beat them inside?
1: Yeah, I think that in a game like this... Going big in the scrimmage, I don't think that will. I don't think they'll win if they go big for a large. I don't think they'll win those minutes just because I think that when you go big, it has to be a concerted effort, a very clear cut effort to use that advantage. When you go big, you have to every possession make sure that your size is. Is being manipulated against the other team. That's on box outs, that's on screens, that's on the rebounds, that's on everything. You have to make sure they feel it at every junction of the possession. And in a scrimmage, I don't know that there'll be that type of, you know, I guess, focus as far as it pertains to that. So I think that in a scrimmage, definitely Houston would come out on top and scrimmages are meaningless it's just so we can get some eyes on basketball and we can and they can run some sets and see what's happening and they can maybe try out Pascal Siakam as initiator more often they can do the the jumbo lineup as you mentioned and see what happens there but as far as just for this game I could be way off but I think that it'll end up being that if they do go big it'll be kind of messy and sloppy because I think you need a lot of focus and attention to detail when you're going big. You have to really press that advantage.
0: Yeah, no, I tend to agree with you. I just think that Nurse is going to use especially these scrimmage games to try things out. Uh, I don't think he's trying to win necessarily. I just think he's, you know... And and the Rockets are a team that we're probably not going to see again this season, but if, if they do, it'll be in the finals, right? So... I just think the more you know about how to play that team, the better. It's not so much about winning. But, yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. The Rockets are an interesting team. Someone's going to go really big against them, and it's either going to work or it's going to fail miserably.
1: Yeah, that's the thing with the Rockets. There's very little in between. It's a very high octane type of game they play or very low octane there it's tough to find the line in the middle with them and so that game's going to happen and as you mentioned not going to see the Rockets until the finals if you see them at all that happens with the rest of the Raptors scrimmage games you're looking at Portland and Phoenix as well for the three games that are being teed up are there any is there anything that jumps off the page when you're talking about those two games as well are you excited to see any players
0: Uh, I was watching a little bit of the Portland scrimmage last night and they looked really good considering that, you know, Nurkic and um, Collins both have been out for so long and they were starting and they just looked like a really cohesive, well-structured team, which was kind of surprising because, you know, we haven't seen basketball for so long. So, um, in general, though, not really. I think these scrimmages... I mean, I'm I'm looking for things on the Raptors' side, absolutely, but, I mean... I like to watch Dame ball. Um, I like to watch Booker ball, but other than that, not so much. Yeah,
1: that's a good point you bring up is that the Raptors, they're just going to kind of come in and run sets that they're interested to see, test out some new schemes, see what happens. But mostly the point you bring up about Portland being a good cohesive unit, they were probably provided that Yusuf Nurkic was healthy this full year, which he was never going to be, of course, but provided that he is Somewhat the player he used to be, which last year was probably a top 25 guy. He had a really great season last year before being injured. You're looking at that team, adding a really, really good big man. And Zach Collins, I think, is underrated in the league. He's underrated league-wide because I think he is a very, very good big. Mm -hmm. Getting those two guys back, super meaningful. Probably puts them in the same conversation as New Orleans as a team that could really, really look to oust Memphis. And so that'll be really interesting to see, that eighth seed kind of battle, that play-in-tournament aspect of it from the West. And Phoenix, they're probably not going to cut it, but as you said, it's fun to watch Devin Booker play basketball. He's been really great this year as a facilitator. He didn't turn into this Steph Curry, Ray Allen-esque shooter, or hasn't yet, but instead we've seen him grow into... A really potent combo guard who's much better at getting to the rim and much better at spraying the ball to the corner than we initially thought. But there's lots to like. I guess let's move on to the the games that matter then, and we'll talk yeah. about the first one, and that's the Lakers. Are you are you excited for that? Because I know everybody really enjoyed that first Lakers game. It was a a very very special moment in this in the I guess the first part of the season to watch Chris Boucher block. LeBron James and Anthony Davis to watch Terrence Davis hit corner threes that type of thing are you excited for it
0: I'm super excited for it and like you said that was definitely one of my favorite games of the season just what they did to the Lakers on the Lakers home floor and like if the Lakers like if LeBron was anything like Michael Jordan then he would definitely find this to be a reason to take things personally because the Raptors kind (laughs) of embarrassed them So honestly, like, it's kind of interesting the way the Raptors and Lakers have both gone throughout this season is just like, we're going to play super hard on every possession. Like, we're not, like, taking any games off. And so even though this will be one of the first games back in the, what's it called, the seeding games, I think both teams are going to play really hard. And I think both teams are going to want to win, even though they don't have that much to play for. You might think it would be one of those games that would be kind of... You know, slow and sluggish, but I I don't think that's what we're going to see at all. I think the Lakers really want to beat the Raptors after what happened, and I just think both teams play hard every time they play. Well, to bring up something we talked about
1: just a couple minutes ago was that pressing your advantage when you're big. I'm pretty sure that the Lakers were the best team at that this year. They used their size to... They, they were wonderful at using their size. They're super intimidating defensively. They chased guards over the top, down into the paint, where there's one of Javal McGee, Anthony Davis, or Dwight Howard waiting. I thought Dwight Howard had the better year than Javal McGee, but McGee was still a really solid center for 17, 18 minutes a game. Same as Dwight Howard. Really impressive stuff. Huge lineups. And I think when teams are a little bit rusty, and how teams are playing right now, the Lakers having just that massive, smart, athletic size on defense will be really advantageous when teams are just warming up. I think they'll be a really tough team to beat. Do you think that the Raptors are geared specifically to counter that because they are a really professional, well-run team? Do you think that they'll have things going so that they can compete, or do you think the Lakers might just be a little bit intimidating off the start?
0: Um, I think the Raptors compete every game. You know, that's what I love about this iteration of the team so much is that, like, you know every time you tune in, you're watching a competitive game. You're watching a team that's going to play extremely hard, be very well-structured, and and just give it all they have. And the Lakers thing is interesting because you look at the Lakers' roster and at least me going into the season, I didn't love it. Like, I I definitely – I'll still – probably pick the Clippers. I just don't like the Lakers' depth. I don't really like their guards, you know. But like you said, they've been able to use their size so well throughout the season, and just LeBron James and Anthony Davis mostly uh, to beat teams. And to the Raptors' point, this is like a general idea with the Raptors, but like the reason I think they have so much potential this year to, to actually make a deep run is just because they're so versatile. So can they go up a team... Can they go against a team like the Lakers who like to play really big? Yeah, they can because they have a bunch of really good big men. Can they also play perimeter-oriented teams really well? Yeah, and and that's kind of why they're so good is because they there's not a single team in the league who I think scares them in terms of a matchup other than maybe the Rockets. <laughs>
1: no, I think that's really... This is something I've talked about ad nauseum this year, and I think the most important points you bring up is that the Lakers, their guards are paltry. I think that it's not much to it's not much to look at when you're talking about their guard play. Danny Green still really good defender, still spaces out the floor. Avery Bradley had a pretty good year, but he's not there. Cantavius Caldwell Pope also had a good year. But these guys are good as defenders on shooting guards. They're good as defenders on point guards, but they have this weakness in creation from the guards, and a weakness in being able to guard wings. And that's why when you said probably pick the Clippers, I'd pick the Clippers as well. But equally as impressed at how the Lakers have said, okay, Anthony Davis, you're going to be a finisher. LeBron James, you're going to be a creator. And everybody's going to play defense. And so they put this huge weight of creation on LeBron's shoulders again and said, you have to create all the time for everybody. And so that's worked. But they've also been pretty bad without LeBron on the floor, even with Anthony Davis, who is certainly a top 10 player, I think. They are not incredibly good with Anthony Davis on the floor. But as you pointed out, another thing that's important to point out is the Raptors' versatility moves them forward always. They are capable of playing almost any style... They continuously do. They've had to morph and change this year and play a lot of different types of basketball because of the injuries. And I think if anything is moving them forward, it is that professionalism that we came here to play ethos and that versatility that will continue to move them forward. So I am looking forward to them playing the Lakers. And I think, hey, if a team's going to do it, it'll be the Raptors. And not that the Lakers in the restarted NBA season are the team to beat, just that I think they come ready-made to, if the games matter, play pretty well because they have LeBron James who thinks the game at a really high level and they have a lot of size that is diligent defensively. And defense travels is, the, uh, I think, the mantra. But moving on to the next game, Miami. There is some tension between uh, Miami Twitter and Toronto Twitter, mostly due to Bam Adebayo and Pascal Siakam's stands. Uh, meeting in the streets with broken bottles, etc. What do you think about that game? Are you excited for any specific matchup there?
0: Yeah, no. Uh, I love Bam. Love watching Bam. But I was just watching the the highlights of the last time they played. And there was no Siakam, no Gasol. Uh, McCaw started. And yeah, so my main takeaway from that, um, I think that game was in January or February. I'm not quite sure, but... The Heat played a lot of zone against the Raptors, and it worked really well because there was no Gasol, there was no Siakam. So the guys in the middle of the zone were Ibaka. They tried a little Ananobi in there, but it didn't work as well as you would hope. Um, And the Heat, you know, they play more zone than any team in the league. It's, I think, similar to the Raptors in the sense that they don't necessarily play zone so much because they like zone, on its own but because they like switching it up and throwing teams off um but in that game they they really just relied on the zone and just played it for almost the entire game and, and the raptors could not beat it but i'll be i'll be watching to see if they go to it again how the raptors can pick them apart and and make it not work because if you have gasol on the court it's really hard to run a zone and so i think that'll be something to watch for for sure
1: No, I think that is, just thinking back to that game, I think it was 84-76. It was was a really low-scoring game, like an absolute throwback of the game. And I think zone works for the Heat because Duncan Robinson, for example, is not very quick on his feet when it comes to defense, but he's got long arms. How does that benefit Miami in the zone? Well, obviously it does because of the length. You can ask Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson to do a little bit less. And you can ask Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo to do a little bit more. And you can still maintain it as a cohesive unit. And there's not weak points like you would in man-on-man defense. So I think there's that appeal for Miami to switch to it. And obviously, they're a smart team. Smart teams throw zone in there all the time, like the Raptors do. And so, I mean, that's obviously a highlight of the defense. But like you said... With Siakam, with Gasol and tow, things look quite a bit different. Just in how Bam Adebayo has to defend. Serge Ibaka, a lot more comfortable spacing to the mid-range. And he's great from there, and he's a, re- a release valve there, but not the same looking from three-point range. We saw a lot of Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. We saw a lot of OG Ananobi flashing to the middle, trying to create from the inside out because the Raptors couldn't just use ball screens and create down- downhill pick-and-roll action. And so when you have Pascal Siakam and Gasol introduced now, you can run corner offense, you can run split action, you can run a lot of sets that might make it difficult for the zone to keep working, and you might make them play more man-on-man. That might mean that Kendrick Nunn is less viable. Iguodala might have to come in for defense as far as we're looking at how they have to match up with the Raptors, with OG, with Siakam, with Gasol, and try and figure things out from there. Myers Leonard might be played off the floor for that game really depends. But the Raptors, and here's back to that versatility thing that we talked about, that is a huge benefit. But that's also what makes the Raptors one of the most fun teams to watch this year is that the goodie bag is seemingly endless. They can do a lot of different things against a lot of different teams. And I think you highlight that's probably the the most intriguing thing to look forward to against the the Miami Heat is to see how, well, can they get Bam at a bio moving out to the perimeter? And can they keep the back end? And kind of towards the rim, open for for cuts, for driving lanes, for all that kind of stuff. And how does Siakam do? Because everybody's been hyping up that siakam bio matchup because bio has been kind of a, a lockdown on a lot of players this year. So I'm, I'm excited to see it for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, asking Siakam to do a lot against Bam is not a recipe for success, you know? Like, this is one of those situations where you need if they're going to just play Bam on Siakam, you can draw out Bam and and let your other guys, you know, take more offensive responsibility because Siakam's great and he's going to get buckets no matter what, no matter who's on him. But it's just not a recipe for success to go against one of the best defensive players and also, like, one of the most ready-made defensive players to guard him specifically. Um, Another thing about this Heat game that I was just thinking about, is like I know OG is one of your favorite players to write about. And I think this is a good example of a team where they're gonna put someone like Kendrick Nunn or um Duncan Robinson on OG. And this is a good example to see like, can OG punish that matchup, you know? Or is it just gonna allow Miami to assuming that they will have to go back to just playing man defense, is it gonna allow Miami to play the way they want, or will OG mess things up a little bit by just taking advantage of those matchups?
1: Yeah, that's a, a super interesting point. From what I saw, and I'm sure you're alluding to my OG Ananobi, um, what's he doing with the ball on the four um, piece, is OG would probably have a much easier time if he had Kendrick Nunn or Goran Dragic on him, somebody like that. The length bothers him a little bit because when he has to adjust his shot, things get kind of hairy for him. So Duncan Robinson might be a better matchup for OG initially because if OG isn't able to get into the paint really quick on a back down, if Duncan Robinson, who has a pretty hefty wingspan, is hanging his arms out there as a deterrent and makes it long enough and deters him enough so that the help side defense can come over a little bit, OG might not be as valuable or viable in that, in that post-up option as we'd like to see, but I like that you bring that up. That will be super interesting to see. Is OG and willing to take advantage of the weak side or the Raptors going to have to look to, to Norman Powell to try and create some offense with some, some backdoor action, some pin downs on the, on the weak side, some split action, stuff like that. It's, yeah, and- it's one of the most interesting things.
0: It is, and, and it's not just this Heat game. It'll be like, in the playoffs, teams are going to put probably their worst defender on OG. And if he can take advantage of that, he's probably going to close games, which would be ideal for the Raptors, at least defensively. And if he can't, like you said, Powell might be the guy who's closing games instead of him. That'll be an interesting thing to watch out for.
1: Yeah, and just as another thing, um, you brought up that Pascal versus Bam... Raptors fans, we shouldn't want Pascal to just go at him and go at him. That's not a recipe for success, as, as he said. And so when the Raptors, they have a team where Kyle Lowry, some games, isn't going to be providing a lot of offensive punch himself. He'll provide, be providing looks. If the Raptors have to start looking at Pascal to create offense, regardless of Bam being on him or not, if the people who are supposed to create weak side offense like Norman Powell, Fred VanVleet, or OG Ananobi just aren't providing anything and they're kind of stuck in the mud, mostly you're going to want to put Siakam in screen action, kind of like what we saw the Raptors do against Orlando in the first round last year. They did not want Jonathan Isaac versus Pascal Siakam straight up. They always had him moving dribble handoffs, pitch, pick, and roll plays, stuff like that, backdoor cuts. Whatever they could do to get him on the move against Isaac, they did it, and I think that would be the recipe for success against Bam yeah agreed. All right, Ironically, the next game we're looking at, Orlando. Any thoughts?
0: Huh um, not looking forward to this one. hope hoping this is not the first <laughs> round matchup, even though I mean it's probably ideal for the Raptors to get an easy one in there. I don't know if Raptors fans can take it again, but um I don't know. like the magic were playing well before the before the season ended. But they're pretty banged up. Um, not really that much I'm looking forward to. How about you?
1: Yeah, I like Orlando, although it takes a lot to make them a fun team. I think there's just so many mitigating factors in making them kind of this fun. Well, if you like defense, I think they play really good principal defense. Vucevic is a lot better at moving within the confines of the their interior than I think he gets credit for. They have a lot of diligent defenders, and they do a good job. But offensively, they get stuck a lot. They're not able to create a lot, and they have to use Vucevic as this volume guy, which he's he's okay at, especially for a big man. But when you're looking at the team and how they operate, it just doesn't make them super fun to watch. And I think the Raptors should, yes, be able to handle them pretty easily, whether that's in this game or in the first round. I think the Raptors this might be the first time we see them sweep a team. Now this this might be crazy, but I think we might actually see the Raptors sweep somebody. And so and if it's the the Magic, I think it could happen. If it's the Nets, it's
0: definitely happening. Like yeah, I mean <laughs> at least game 1 won't be at home, so we might be able to take a game 1. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> What you said about vucevic that's just not the recipe for success in the modern league. You know, you can't just feed your big man that much and, and expect to win. Um, is Fultz playing? Yeah. In the bubble? Oh, he is. Okay.
1: I'm I'm big Fultz guy, too. So, But I've talked about Fultz to know it. Like, I've talked about him way too much on this podcast specifically. So, <laughs> I didn't want to subject people to my Fultz standing anymore.
0: No, but that'll be interesting to watch with Jonathan Isaac out. uh, Fultz is going to have more offensive responsibility. See how that plays out. I liked Fultz in the games
1: he played against the Raptors because at this point in his career, he's still allowed to flash things. He doesn't have to be 100% consistent. The Magic aren't that team yet, if they ever will be. Fultz isn't that player yet, if he ever will be. That you're mostly looking for encouraging signs from him. You know what I mean? So when he played the Raptors last and he's snaking pick and rolls, he's really creative on getting the ball to the dive man. He's able to outfox Fred Van Vliet, who is a really good defender at his position. That's encouraging to see. And Fultz, he's able to provide, you know, I would say eight to 10 possessions of, or six to eight possessions of somewhat close to genius every night, that it's really, really good manufactured offense. But six day eight possessions from one of your primary ball handlers is not a lot of possessions. So whether that's them getting six day eight possessions of a couple free throws, a couple baskets for the roll man, a couple baskets for Fultz, it's not a ton of offensive production. But he does it six to eight times a game, and it's it's fun to watch, it's fun to see. But he's not there. As far as consistency, he's still troubled by his jump shot but he's fun to watch. I love watching Fultz. I think he's a super smart player. His athleticism length and guile and slipperiness while he's just super slimy headed downhill. I really like to watch him.
0: Yeah, me too. He's he's very creative and like this is probably going to be good for him just because he's never played like an important game in his life. So having like actual scene in games that matter and having a, at least one playoff series where he is going to be a primary uh, uh, um, offensive playmaker. And it's going to be really good just for the Magic to kind of let him go and let him learn from his mistakes, because realistically, the Magic know they're not winning a championship. So giving him all this practice could really help them. I think long term faults is a really big part of their future.
1: I hope so, too. Fultz is one of my favorite players going forward. Just to, before we take a break, Fultz did win my, uh, did you happen to see my Twitter poll with uh, Chris Dunn, Dante DiFingenso, Markel Fultz, and Lonnie Walker IV?
0: I did. I voted Lonnie Walker.
1: I Yeah, Lonnie Walker, I think he just needs minutes. He's, he's very good to me. But Fultz got 35% of the vote. Chris Dunn got 20%. DiVincenzo 17% and Lonnie Walker got twenty-eight percent. Do you think Dante should have gotten more votes?
0: Um I don't know, like super athletic, good three points. Because he,
1: he is sorry, sorry to cut you off, but just to uh, Dante is has the best statistical profile out of all those players by some degree currently. Now, I asked who would you take for the future, so that's a bit different, but he is probably the most effective player currently,
0: right. I guess if you're asking like who's gonna who are you most sure is gonna help your team? It might be Dante because he's gonna be in this league for a long time. He's just gonna be a good three and d player but if if you're asking who has the most potential, I'm not gonna say Dante. I'll probably go with Falzer or right. Lonnie. Lonnie.
1: I really want to see Lonnie blow up. I think he's, man, he's a very creative player. And his athleticism can, man, he can jump out of the gym in a hurry. I just, I want to see him get a huge handful of possessions, which is kind of, it's tough for me because DeMar DeRozan is my favorite player. And I love watching him go to work on the Spurs. But also you see Derek White and Lonnie Walker and DeJounte Murray hanging out. And you're kind of like, they need possessions. We need to see this go somewhere because, you know, Lonnie Walker has spent a long time just kind of waiting in the, on the Spurs anyway. And I hope I hope we see him get some possessions. Do you have an idea of what he looks like
0: ideally? Mm, like in terms of the Spurs, they're they're just in a weird situation because most teams don't do what they have been doing, which is kind of like middle of the pack team. Like most teams will either blow it up. And trade a guy like DeRozan. And allow those young guys to actually get time. But the Spurs with Pop. They're just in such a weird position. Where it's like we kind of want to keep competing. uh, So give these possessions to DeRozan. But. um, I don't know. I I think he's like a a good combo guard. You know. I don't think he is primarily the ball handler. I don't think that's going to be the best position for him. But. Even like a two-guard lineup with him, I think could really work well. Um, you know, it's been a while, to be honest, since I watched the Spurs. So, yeah, I don't have that much.
1: I see him kind of as a, a more linear Levert. Because Levert is one of the shakiest players in the league. Like, he's, he's very good as a ball handler. And that's how he gets to the rim. And he's a long finisher, although not really an impressive finisher at the rim yet. And I think that Lonnie Walker is like the streamlined version of Levert. I think that he gets to the rim with his speed and his agility, whereas Levert kind of snakes his way to the rim, has mm-hmm. his footwork to get him there. But I think they have similar body types, and I think they have similar jumpers that I'm I'm interested to see what Lonnie Walker ends up being. But I think that's you highlight that it probably won't be a huge ball-handling position for him going forward. He'll have to become better working off ball. He'll have to really learn how to, for example, Norman Powell this year, his footwork in pin downs became really, really impressive. He was able to fake coming over the top, slide back into the corner. He's able to shoot off the top really quick and clip his guy against the screen. Just really impressive footwork, really impressive awareness. That was huge for his progression this year. Lonnie Walker needs to do that stuff, since I agree with you, I don't think that ball handling is... The, the biggest part of his game going forward. But I guess we'll take a small break, Oren, and then uh, we'll start off with the Boston game once we get back. Listener, you're going to have an ad read right away. So enjoy that, and we'll be back.
0: Today. Here's the scenario. You're injured in a collision and your insurance company is
2: denying your claim. It happens far too often. If it happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. My team and I work for people just like you. We don't accept cases on behalf of insurance companies, so you and your family can make sure that you're in good
0: hands. Visit GoldfingerLaw.com and get us working for you. Get Goldfinger
1: today. And welcome back. Still Samson Folk hosting the Extra Weekly Podcast, still joined by the wonderful, intelligent, and thoughtful Warren Weisfeld. Oren, we're talking August 7th versus Boston, not in TD Garden, hopefully not listening to Tommy Heinsohn, and probably, <laughs> hopefully enjoying a win against the Celtics. What are you looking forward to in this this rivalry game, this Raptors-Celtics heavyweight matchup?
0: Yeah, no, this is another one that really excites me, and I really hope we can get a Raptors-Celtics playoff series. I know that's what a lot of people have wished for over the past few years, and we've never gotten it. And I know a lot of Raptors Twitter just want it because they can finally prove that we're the better team. Um, But yeah, I I think (laughs) we are the better team. But uh, for Celtics matchup, uh, the last game they played was uh, a couple days after Christmas, and OG was guarding Gordon Hayward for most of the game and so I'm looking forward to seeing OG on Tatum which I think will be the matchup if these two teams play in the playoffs um you know people have written extensively already about OG as one of the most you know 10 most important players going into the bubble and like at first, that was kind of a weird thing for me because it's like, we know what OG is. You know, like, anyone who's who's watched enough Raptors, like, we know what he... Not not what he's going to be in the future, but we know what he is this season. And that's a really good, you know, fifth option on offs- offense and, and a great defender. But can OG really limit a guy like Tatum, you know? That's what I'm going to be watching for in this game.
1: I'm interested who, who do you think guards Hayward? Who do you think guards Brown? Because I would put the second best player on Hayward, not on Brown, just because of how Hayward presents against guys like Lowry and Van Vliet. Because there are a few players in the league that can actually take advantage of Lowry and Van Vliet's lack of size in the post. And Hayward is actually one of those guys who has the balance, who has the passing chops, and has the mid-range ability to actually make the Raptors pay. He's done it several times in the past, and I think as far as that staggered screen action Boston runs to get him in the middle of the floor, he's really dangerous there. I think he's had a super underrated season, and I think Brown is better just because of the defense, but offensively, Hayward, I think, is slightly above Brown currently. Who would you want guarding Hayward?
0: That's interesting. And maybe that was Nurse's thinking, because I think in that game, uh, Lowry was on um, Tatum, right? And OG was on Hayward. So maybe that was the thinking in terms of Tatum not being such a post-up threat. But... um, I mean, you can always go Siakam on Hayward. Like realistically, Hayward is not that big of a part of their offense where you're going to drain Siakam by putting him. Even though it seems like one of those matchups that you kind of want to stay away for in order to rest Siakam a little bit. But, um, yeah, it, it, if it does turn out that that Lowry couldn't guard Hayward and that he was he was taking advantage of him, uh, probably go with Siakam and then and then Lowry on Brown. Yeah, I think that
1: it, it all comes down to who the Raptors are willing to play off of because Boston, pretty dangerous at a lot of different positions. Kemba, obviously, is going to draw Fred, provided that the Raptors, if we're talking about the going into the playoff series, provided that that happens, maybe that becomes Norm, depending on how things shake out. There is the possibility that Norm sneaks his way into the starting lineup, and I do think against the, the Celtics, that would probably be instead of Fred and and instead of, um, oh, gee, I should say, boy, that was poorly worded. I'll get back to the regular season. <laughs> when we're talking about how that's going to shake out, how they play off of Tice, how they play with Hayward, and how they play Tatum straight up, super important. Because I think Kemba, I don't think Kemba is going to tear the Raptors apart. I think Kemba's a really good scoring guard. And I think that he's going to exist in that way, and that's going to be what he is. Jalen Brown had that really fantastic outlier performance on Christmas, although I don't think that's the norm. And if it is, man, Boston is really, really dangerous. But I think they'll be able to play off Tice some, even though Tice is, I think, a really impressive center. I think Hayward and Tatum are really, really important matchups, and I think you just have to hope that Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker don't get on heaters. But I think the Raptors are a good enough defense that they can kind of limit that.
0: Yeah, I think Kemba is kind of like Lowry in the sense that he's probably going to have a couple games where he goes for 25, but that's not their offensive strategy. I mean, this, this game and this series is really coming down to OG versus Siakam. And who can score more and... And not just, like, who can score more, but, like, what, what do they dictate in terms of the defense? So, if OG can guard Tatum pretty well one-on-one, then Toronto's going to be happy. But if they're going to have to throw constant doubles at him, that's going to open up a lot for the Celtics, and that's when they become a really scary team, right? And and in terms of, like, the Tice matchup, like, I remember, uh, I remember the Christmas game. I'm not sure if you remember this, but... Canter was matched up with Ibaka and Canter was just giving it to Ibaka in the post. Do you remember this?
1: Mm-hmm. So that like, was a tough game for Ibaka.
0: Tough <laughs> a game, really tough one. Tough game for the whole team, but uh yeah, like that's Ibaka can allow that because you can't allow Canter to dictate matchups where you're now mashing up Marcus All with NS Canter. The entire series because, like, is not a good enough player to dictate matchups in that way, you know what I mean? So, like, Ibaka has to find a way to just hold his own in the post. He's not that undersized against a guy like Cantor. I understand, Cantor does have a really nice post touch, but um, that's that's another thing. The big matchup is super interesting because, on paper, Toronto should be able to dominate these guys inside. Um, that's that's going to be interesting to see if Skinny Gasol can, can rediscover his touch inside. But yeah, I, I don't see why Ibaka and, and Mark can't dominate a little bit this matchup.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. It should be to the Raptors' benefit. But also, just the play styles and how they cascade with each other and how they change does ideally would benefit the Celtics a little bit but the Raptors players are better. Like, Tice, I think, is marginally better than Ibaka this season, but Gasol is the best big out of the rotation when we're talking Celtics and Raptors. Robert Williams is interesting. In that third game of the season, Grant Williams played really, really good defense on Mark Gasol, but that was when Gasol was still way out of sorts offensively and kind of looked like an alien in Gasol's body. That was a super weird start to the year for him but I don't think that'll be viable going into the playoffs or anything like that. But for this game, I think hopefully we get a nugget of what that initial front court matchup looks like. I like that you highlighted that. And another front court matchup that I think will be super exciting, Memphis versus the Raptors. That's the next game, August 9th. Jonas Valančiūnas versus Marcus <laughs> Hall. What do you got? What are you looking forward to?
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see that one. Um, JV gets his revenge game. Um, You know, not that much, considering... I mean, it's the Grizzlies. We haven't seen the Raps play the Grizzlies yet this year, from what I... That's right. Yeah. So, I guess who gets Ja Morant? That'll be an interesting matchup. Um, Is it Lowry? Is it Fred? Is it OG? Um, Because I, I think a lot of what they do goes through Ja. So if you can if you can kind of make him double double take what he's doing, that's a good way to slow them down. Uh, JV against Gasol, that's just gonna be that's gonna be good. But to be honest, I don't think I don't think either of those guys are gonna dominate the game like like we might expect.
1: Yeah. I actually think, oddly enough, that Lowry will get like Kyle Anderson or something like that because Justice Winslow is out. And I think Kyle Anderson will start at the three, maybe. And I think that OG might get Dylan Brooks. That's I think that that might end up being how it shakes out. And Fred will get Jaw, and then obviously JV and uh, JV and Marcus All and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Pascal. But I, it's it's tough because we don't know what Memphis is going to look like. They have a lot of moving parts. But I think. Lowry could be the matchup that looks kind of wonky, that jumps off the page. But I think it'll end up being fine. Like, Slow Mo is a really good passer, but Lowry probably will bother his dribble a lot so that he's not able to get to the middle of the floor and cause havoc. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of rooting for the Grizzlies. Like, everyone is counting them out of actually getting the eighth seed. Um, but, I mean, I'm a guy who... Does put a lot of weight on the regular season. Um, like my main argument that the Raptors are good is because the Raptors have been really good, you know, and that the same can be said with the Grizzlies. They've just been a better team throughout the season, so I, I don't really see that stopping. And uh, I think they have a really good chance.
1: They had a either a sixteen and four or a fifteen and four stretch. Memphis did this season, and I like. I agree with you. I hope that. Like, I like Dame. I like CJ. I like Portland just fine. I Drew Holiday is one of my favorite players in the league. Ingram's been great this year. Zion is obviously a revelation in the NBA, probably the next face of the league along with Giannis. But I do hope it's Memphis, and I think that Memphis should be able to hold on to that eighth seed. And why not have Ja, Jaron Jackson Jr., and... JV in the playoffs with Brandon Clark, of course, Brandon Clark is, man, I love Brandon Clark. He's very good.
0: Yeah. I kind of see from the league perspective, like I don't think the Grizzlies will give the Lakers uh, that much of a problem compared to how, how much of a, the Portland or, or new Orleans could probably give them a little bit more trouble. But yeah, I just think jaw is going to be special. Like this is someone who could be an MVP of this league, you know, in the next five years. Um, they're a huge league pass team for me, not even because of the Canadian connection, but just because I really like watching John Morant play. He's just so, he has kind of like that, I mean, the speed and athleticism is one thing, but he's such a good playmaker, and he's also just really shifty, and like he has kind of that Siakam, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like, I don't know. Um, He's live.
1: He's slippery. He's <laughs> amoebic.
0: None of those, I mean all of those, yeah, <laughs> but i'll I'll get back to you,
1: yeah, well, that makes sense i I do think that New Orleans, obviously, just because Zion is a better player than Jaw at this point, I think Jaw is the rookie of the Year, but Zion, in my top one hundred that I wrote, he made it into the top thirty because holy smokes this guy can play his sheer size and athleticism. Makes him a constant problem on the floor. And he's much better off ball than a lot of people initially thought. He manipulates and uses his weight properly. He's not just like an athletic guy who doesn't know how to imprint himself on the game, which is something we see with a lot of players. Zion knows how to make himself heard and seen on the court, even if he doesn't have the ball in hand. He's very, very good. Super smart player. Incredible body to work with. So... Of course, Andrew Holiday is great. Brandon Ingram took massive steps. Derek Favors, underrated, big man. New Orleans is good. But Memphis, I would be super excited to see Jaron Jackson Jr. go head to head with Anthony Davis. I would love to see Jonas Valanciunas eat Javal McGee alive at the start of games, then probably struggle with Dwight Howard. I'd love to see Jaw I I can't imagine how much fun it would be to see Jaw downhill you know, 15 to 20 times a game trying to either get over or get around one of Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, or Javal McGee, and hopefully crown each of them a few times. That would be, I think that's great basketball to watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you also in, in the Zion thing. I think Zion is a better player, but I have been impressed by Ja Offball. I think a reason, like, he, he he hasn't been able to showcase it that much because Memphis just doesn't have very many playmakers outside of him, but he has a really good cutting game. Um he he's still useful just because he's a good outside shooter, so he's always going to be useful off the ball and I think like I think the path for Memphis in the future is a Toronto type two guard like Ja does not have to be the guy with the ball always in his hands. I just think in general in the league it's a good idea to to not put that kind of weight on someone and and just to have Two guards in the starting lineup who can kind of do different things and take turns playing on and off ball.
1: That's wow. That's an interesting wrinkle. Um, you'll get who are the most dominant one guard lineups in the league? Well, like, like Westbrook even,
0: for so many years, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Westbrook's and I think Ja
0: is the Westbrook comparison a lot. Um, but mm-hmm. did that ever really work out for Westbrook, like other than the early years? They got
1: close. That no, 3-1 don't. lead they gave up was was tough, but that's more on that's more on KD, I think. Like KD yeah. is the the generational, like Westbrook is incredible, don't get me wrong, but KD is definitely pulling those teams. Yeah, um and Harden hadn't become what he was at that point yet either. So who's just as a cuz you'd want to say Dame simply because of the usage and because he's been the pick and roll king both on percentile and usage as far as the last four years of the NBA, but they still have CJ. Who's, who's a one-guard team, a true one-guard team? Can you think of any off the top of your head? Mm-hmm. Like,
2: I New mean, Orleans
1: was kind of close to it with Drew because Lonzo is a really nebulous, weird player, like he wasn't running a lot of pick and roll. He was mostly their transition option. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't. Who's. What's I a think, team that just does the. Uh, Dallas, a little bit, just with Luca. Dallas
1: is a good one, yeah.
0: Luca runs mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but yeah, maybe it's. The all Lakers
1: right. have the zero guard system.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's already getting phased out of the league a little bit because I just think one guy is easier to scheme for than multiple playmakers on the floor at all times, which is what makes the Raptors so hard to scheme for, just because they always have several options, and if one's not working, then they can go to another.
1: Wizards, another one. But yeah, that's a that's a good point you make, is that basically the the NBA, a lot of teams are trying to get become unschemable, and I think that uh, the Raptors have done a really good job of doing it. That's why the Raptors have such an appealing shot chart, and that's why their shot chart doesn't vary that much from game to game, whereas the Raptors, you look at the shot charts of teams they play, there's so much variance. Usually, the game they play against the Raptors, their shot chart will be much different than what they're used to for the season, and that's because the Raptors' defense dictates what's happening on the floor. The Raptors right. offense, for the most part, with Kyle Lowry in tow, with Pascal Siakam's skill and Marcus Alls' you know, ingenuity. I think that they they get the shots that they right. like for a large percentage of the game. So I think that that leans itself towards your hypothesis that you don't just want the one guy, which the league for the past I would say six seven years, well, let's say ten years, really started trending towards is you get so much dependable offense from one guy running, pick and roll. It can be a wing. It can be a guard. But I think that it has been kind of well, James Harden was that for a long time before Chris Paul came along. But there is a diminishing return. I think the league is finding out unless, you know, maybe Luca reinvents that because Luca created the best offense in the league just off of that. But he might be the exception. And he's six foot eight. And he's generational he's whatever he is is very unique he's the unicorn probably more deserving of the unicorn nickname than his his teammate but regardless uh let's jump on to milwaukee what do you think about the milwaukee game
0: yeah so this is an interesting one I, i guess i have two main points on this one um Playing big against Milwaukee is something that I think Nurse will look to do, something that the Raptors went to a little bit uh, in the in the playoff series last year, and it's something that worked pretty well. And even going bigger, like these lineups that people have been talking about recently with Siakam running point... Um, it could work against Milwaukee. I don't know. Like, I, I'd i be curious to see, especially in the seeding game, I think it's going to be about Nurse trying things out, seeing what worked. The last time they played, uh, the Raptors didn't have Gasol, but otherwise they were pretty healthy. And it was a good game until the fourth quarter where Milwaukee kind of pulled away. But the Raptors just, you know, Milwaukee's interesting because they take away the things that the Raptors you were talking about their shot chart, they take away the two things that the Raptors do exclusively, right? They take shots at the rim and they take threes away. So I think this is an opportunity to, to let a, a guy like Siakam, you know, try to punish them in the mid-range a little bit because those bigs drop and they're giving you mid-range shots. And I know it doesn't sound sexy or analytically good, but Siakam's pretty good at that. Um, and I think, he, in the game, I was watching the highlights of, he really didn't look to take advantage of it at all. And I know the Raptors as a system don't like to do it, but against the Bucks, it might be something worth exploring.
1: I think, no, that is one of the biggest progressions that Pascal Siakam will make in his career. And whether that's him getting an extended floater, if that's more comfortable, just because I don't think his jump shot the way it's built lends itself to a very good pull-up game just like his the bottom half of his jump shot does not really lend itself towards pull-ups and his best pull-ups come when he's got quite a bit of space rarely when a guy is just in his face and especially when he's moving there's not a lot of room for changeability there it's he's a pretty stiff pull-up guy is what i'm trying to say so whether that means that he's kind of using hesitation dribbles to get one of Lopez or, well, the Lopi, I should say, one of those two, or Giannis, kind of backed to about maybe the restriction area, the restricted area, I should say, and unleashing floaters, really being clever going downhill, but at the same time being aware of his dive man, being aware of the guys who are probably relocating in Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry or Norm Powell. How he operates going downhill against Milwaukee is probably the biggest indicator for what that series would look like. And if Pascal is able to take steps in that way, that would be huge for the Raptors because we know the Raptors have sort of the game plan to handle Giannis and to make things difficult for Giannis. But we don't know that the Raptors have an immediate counterpunch to drop defense and a lot of teams are starting to go more the way of drop defense, and especially with Milwaukee, who has great defenders to chase over top, and that's a super big deal as well, is Bledsoe is a hound coming over the over the top. It's not just this easy waltz into the lane, you get to decide from the middle floor. It's kind of like this hellish possession where you're being chased from the back and being confronted from the front, where there's you know Bledsoe on the back end or Middleton and one of Giannis or the Lopi looking at you. It's a really tough situation. It's a pressure cooker and I'll be looking forward to seeing how Pascal Siakam makes decisions in that pressure cooker. That's what that game is for to me.
0: Yeah, no, it's we don't know if the Raptors can can score enough on the Bucks in the half court and Siakam's going to have a huge responsibility just like we saw Kawhi have a huge responsibility in that series, you know, like that's kind of what the Bucks are, are built to like that they do pose a little bit of a matchup problem because you know small guards struggle against a team that that long and and that you know committed to chasing you off the line and being there at the same time to meet you at the rim so like i would be surprised if if kyle and and fred play huge roles we know norm is a bucks killer um I also think Mark is gonna have a big role if this is a series and in this game, because everything coming out of camp seems like camp, I don't know. Everything coming out of whatever this is seems like they want Casal to be a little bit bigger part of the offense. And part of this the skinniness, I guess, is just him to be a little quicker, a little more limber and and be able to jump a little bit more, have more spring in his step. So, you know, Like, Robin Lopez is a good defender, but can Gasol score on him five times a game in the post? I don't see why not, you know?
1: We even just shoot nine threes a game, man. Like, you have to punish Brook Lopez and Robles Lopez for dropping low. There's, Mm -hmm. There's no other way around it. That's why Gasol, the most advantageous the Raptors offense looked last year and of course that was with Kawhi Leonard in tow which is an important factor but they looked the most dangerous when Gasol was hitting from above the arc or sorry I should say above the break because the the bucks if Gasol is going to shoot 40 percent and he'll be open if he's going to shoot 40 percent from that spot on the floor that's really good offense that you can go to for hopefully north of 10 points a game that would be super ideal. And Gasol, he'll have those shots available to him. And if he's willing to take them, which is, he's not a super, he's not a volume shooter. He doesn't like that for his game, but he might have to to try and really poke at one of the weakest points of the the Bucks' defense. And that's that that looms large, I think, is his willingness to take those shots and make those shots.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, he. He passes up a lot of those looks, and you're right. The pick-and-pop is probably going to be one of their best sources of offense uh, until you punish them enough that they, I mean, I don't know if they would ever change, but until they change that scheme. And and is another one where, you know, it's been going great this season. He's shooting above 40%, but can he keep that up throughout the playoffs? Um, I'm somewhat skeptical, but we'll see
1: and historically ibaka has shot the ball from three poorly against the bucks he but he's been good from mid-range and we we all know you know ibaka is a lot more comfortable spacing to the the mid-range rather than to three-point land and we've seen that in past games against the bucks the past two years is ibaka has gotten like 14 points in a single game from the mid-range like the raptors have really struggled against that drop defense and have had to use Epoch as a release valve, and he'll shoot like maybe 7 or 14 from the mid-range, but that's not super great offense for the Raptors to keep getting. Like He's doing his job, and he's doing it well, but that shouldn't be all the Raptors are able to create, and we've seen too many times in the past couple years that that is all the Raptors are able to create for four-minute stretches of the game. So we'll see... You know, we'll see what the Raptors have to counterpunch because the Bucks, well the Raptors are the defending champions, the Bucks are the best team in the league this year and have the best defense by some measure. So, it'll be interesting to see what the Raptors come up with.
0: Yeah, no, the Bucks are the one team that really scares me in the East and and that if I'm the Raptors, I'm I'm pretty scared of. Yeah.
1: Another team to be scared of or to laugh at. They're constantly switching back and forth between. On August 12th, the Raptors played the Philadelphia 76ers. Do you, have a, do you have a beat on that game? Do you have a beat on that team? And keep in mind, I picked Philadelphia to win the title prior to the season starting. As insane as that is,
0: but, but what do you think of the team out of Philly right now? Yeah, you said you can either be scared or laugh. I'm choosing to laugh at this point. Um I was also <laughs> with you. I put I put a bet on Philly to come out of the East before the season started. But now I don't know. The narrative is just getting crazy like I don't know why people think that I mean like there's such a small history of teams being so bad and then all of a sudden flipping a switch, playing Simmons as the four and then just being incredibly good like the Sixers have some clear issues especially with face with the spacing and I just don't think this is their year I did at the beginning I was wrong on Horford it's not a fit and I really don't I don't see the Sixers doing much damage in the east I just think they're a flawed team and they don't seem to like playing together that much and they don't have much structure or chemistry and you know, I do think Simmons and Embiid can work together, but I just don't think this is the roster construction to make it work. Um, with that being said, against the Raptors, I'm curious to see, like, there's been a lot of talk about, like, all of a sudden, Shake Milton has become, like, Steph Curry, but, like... He's Simmons, the best player in the world, or, yeah. okay, he's so good. <laughs> yeah, I guess he must be. So, like, Simmons as as the screener is an interesting thing. Um, but that that only works if you know the Sixers have enough space on the floor for for Simmons to roll to the rim, and so how are the Raptors going to treat Embiid in that situation if he's assuming you know he's spacing out to the corners or whatever? Is Marcus all going to space out to the corner too, or is he just going to kind of you know let him be there and then come over from the weak side and, and tag that roller because? You know, Embiid and Horford, they're both okay shooters. But the whole idea that Simmons can be a huge part of their offense as a screener only works if the spacing is there, you know?
1: No, that is that is the point to make, I think. And that's Raptors fans. We've been highlighting, hey, we can use Siakam as a screener. And that, that changes things fundamentally for for the Raptors. And the reason it does is because the Raptors can liably space the floor and Siakam can have a runway either as the ball handler or as the screener. It it makes sense in that offense because Gasol is spacing out. One of Powell, Van Vliet, Lowry, el- elsewhere spacing out. You know what I mean? Even OG to some degree, a 38% three-point shooter. It makes sense. But, as you highlighted is Simmons rolling into three bodies in the paint? What What is the utility of that if you're not spaced out? And the gamble of getting rid of Butler and Redick and instead choosing Josh Richardson and Al Horford. On the one end, you brought in Horford because you want this superpower defense, and that made sense. I totally understood that, and that's why I picked them prior to that. And also, since Josh Richardson had showed, you know, extra viability in the pick and roll... Extra viability as a pull-up three-point shooter, and especially in dribble handoffs, I thought that pairs well with Joel Embiid. That hasn't come up this year either. That's been that's been something they haven't been able to count on. And Tobias Harris is not as big a factor as a max player usually is. I would say that's the nicest way I could put it. And so all those things is that Embiid is a world ender. The defense he's going to provide in a cramped tight playoff series will be probably second to none he might be the best defender in the playoffs like he was last year he'll be a super big deal but his offensive game has its cracks horford just has not been able to space the floor has not been able to do what he was so dependably doing for boston for so long richardson not spacing the floor either and then simmons suddenly you know he's a rim runner now but they don't really need rim runners, man. They need somebody to shoot the damn ball. And Tobias Harris, if Tobias Harris is going to come into a a playoff series and shoot like 36, 37% from 3, even on high volume, probably not going to cut it. They need a lot of things to break right for them and things to sort out. So like you say, you know, laughing or or scared. And as you say, there's not a lot of precedent for teams who turn it around after being so bad. I think I'm in the same boat as you, finally. I, I gave them a long time to figure it out, but I think I'm finally in the same boat as you. That Philly is not such a big deal, even though I think Embiid is just the best. But yeah, I think I think the Raptors don't have too much to worry about there. And I do think they'll win that game.
0: Yeah, Joel Embiid asked for a trade to the Raptors. <laughs> yeah, that would be nuts. I can't even imagine.
1: Last Rep game, or
0: become Africa's team. Siakam, Giannis, and Embiid, front court. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I dream of. At and night. Surge. And Surge. Assuming Surge is You Surge. got
1: Cameroon. Yeah. You got Nigeria. You got Congo. Yeah. Two from Cameroon, even. Totally. it uh, Diwali? Oh, not Diwali. What is the. They're from two separate places. I can't remember what they're from. <laughs> not Diwali. Jesus. I don't know. Um, I can't remember. Oh, oh, well, we'll leave it. Uh, something Joel Embiid is from a Pascal Siakam from B. I remember it being a, not a point of contention, but a, like a rivalry during last year's playoffs. But regardless, we got one game to talk about and it involves the skinny and, uh, now European model, Nikola Jokic and the, uh, 70s sex icon jamal murray what do we what do we think about the that game
0: i'm excited to see skinny Jokic in action honestly i haven't had many hot takes this podcast so my hottest is that uh Jokic is gonna win mvp next season i just think like we don't know exactly why he lost his weight to be fair but um it it seems like if if he did truly lose the weight because you know he wanted to be a better basketball player it seems like he's finally starting to take this really seriously and if jokic is going to take basketball very seriously and and become super fit before the season even starts and just commit to making da- uh, denver an incredible team i really think jokic has mvp potential next season but um yeah, this will this will be a good game. Two teams that play different styles, but super interesting styles. Um, it it does seem like the point in the schedule where the Raptors might not be playing guys. Like they might just be at this point resting players for the playoffs. Uh, they're likely going to have their fate decided at this point. But yeah, like last time they played, Ibaka and Gasol were both out, so Rondé was like guarding Jokic, and it was an interesting game. But OG seven steal game, OG the god. Did
1: they win? He had thirty two points. Do you remember that? No, they lost.
0: Yeah, okay. No, I do. I do remember that. Yeah, but I'm interested to see Jokic and Mark go at it.
1: Yeah, that that's basically that's why I thought if the Raptors didn't have a good year, I thought for one 100% a certainty, a Western Conference contender was going to trade for Marcus All, so that they had Jokic insurance. So I think that matchup is is very intriguing. And the point you make about... I have one stipulation. Getting skinnier does not mean more fit necessarily. You can get skinnier, but not be more fit. You know what I mean? So Jokic, despite getting skinnier... Doesn't guarantee that he's more fit. Maybe it was a side effect of COVID-19. Maybe he swallowed a tapeworm. Who's to yeah. say? But, <laughs> but like you said, as far as his MVP consideration, I actually, before this year, those were two of my hottest takes, was I thought that Jokic would be a top three MVP candidate, and I thought that Philly would win the, the title. So I'm in the same boat as you. I think that a, a streamlined and idealized version of Jokic is very close to the best player in the league. That that mix of touch, finesse, vision with an incredible amount of size is really hard for any team to deal with. Is it makes him we're talking about, you know, guards who can be schemed for, guards who take up a lot of usage who can be schemed for, you don't want that. But the thing is, if Jokic is the best version of himself, he can take all the possessions, but you can't even scheme for that. The passing lanes that are available to him, his ability to always be moving towards the rim while surveying the court, you can't really counter that. You just kind of have to react to the advantages he's always creating. So if Jokic is on, I mean, he's on, man. That's a tough guy to stop, so... Yeah, it'll be interesting if the if we do get Jokic versus Gasol, I'm very excited to see that because Jokic is this inspired genius of an offensive creator, and Gasol is an inspired genius of a defensive stopper. So I'd I would love to see that matchup.
0: Yeah, no, we have similar takes because I thought I, I even bet on Jokic to win MVP, but only because the odds were like <laughs> twenty-five to one at the start of the season. I'm like, this is too good to pass out on. But yeah, you can see that I'm not a good sports better. I've lost all the money I bet on the Raptors winning the championship last season. I have just stayed in the account and now been lost to bad bets. So yeah. I wait, think wait. Do you tough. mind if
1: I ask you how much you made, or is that too personal?
0: No, yeah. I bet. I I, I bet on them when the Bucks series got tied two two. I was like, okay, this series is over, and Durant's like, I don't know why people think Durant's just going to come back all, like miraculously in the NBA Finals and be healthy. So. I think it's a good bet. I think I bet 100 and made six. I think it was six to one at that point.
1: Well done. Well
0: done. I've never made a sports bet, by
1: the way. I've never done it.
0: Okay. Yeah, probably don't get into it. I spent like 400 of the (laughs) bet. Like that night when the Raptors won the championship, just picked up the bill at the bar and then have like wasted the rest on other sports bets. So not recommended. It's a give and take, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It would definitely
1: add some extra heat to like I can't imagine the stakes. My cousin he was asking me actually. Um, I remember I went to a game last year and he was betting on it, and it was the it was the Raptors versus Hornets the game where Jeremy Lamb hit the game hit that half court yeah. game winner, and my cousin because I you know after that game I went home and did the reaction. Um, podcast and I writing about the Raptors at the time still am Um, he thought he was like you have a good beat on it and I think he made five bets during the game and kept asking me like hey what's this what's this and I kept giving him my answer and he won all five bets but it made me feel so anxious man because I was like oh no and I saw him at Christmas and he was asking Lakers or Clippers I was like Clippers 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 and he was like, "Really?" And the Lakers were ahead most of that game. But I was like, "Don't worry, the Lakers are not going to win this game." But I hate, be- I hated being a party to the bet because I felt so responsible for his money. And it, oh god, I couldn't do it. It just created so much anxiety in me.
0: Yeah, no, I'm pretty good at like compartmentalizing it and like betting, and then just forgetting about it until it's it's happened and it's done with. But
1: oh, I I cannot compartmentalize. It it takes over. I get caveman brain. Like, oog win, oog lose, basically that. Yeah. All right, Oren. It seems we've walked through the schedule. Perhaps we'll do this again, um, provided that once the schedule drops for the Raptors first round, we'll see what happens. But, before we get you out of here, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like to mention?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, The one thing is, I mean, everyone's fawning over the Terrence Davis versus um, Pat McCaw minutes. I really think that, like, I don't know what's going to happen. It might just be plug-and-play throughout uh, the playoffs with different guys for different scenarios. But I think the Raptors probably have, you can make the argument that they have the best top seven in the league, just in terms of, like, depth and positional versatility and guys who complement each other. And I, I was listening to a Zach Lowe podcast where he was talking about the Lakers losing Rondo and Avery Bradley, and he was saying, like, Losing Avery Bradley in itself isn't that bad, but it it diminishes their margin for error. So I think the Raptors have a really small margin for error here because they have those top seven, and no one on the bench can replace those top seven. You know, as good as Terrence Davis is, he cannot step into that top seven because they depend on everyone can play defense. You know, there's no one who you can target and be like, let's target this guy. And, you know, make them pay defensively for that. I think the Raptors, if their top seven stays healthy, can go very far this year. If not, I think it'll be really hard to make up for that. Um, Other than that, arrest the cops that killed Brianna Taylor.
1: Well put. Well put. And if you want to follow Oren on Twitter, let me bring up his at. You can just type in Oren Weisfeld and you'll probably find it. But his at, specifically, if you like to search for it, is Oren Weisfeld, quite simply put. So if you want to follow Oren, if you liked what he said on the podcast, feel free to do so. And always look out on RaptorsRepublic.com for when his articles or pieces emerge. Oren, thank you so much for coming on, man.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. Appreciate it. This was fun.
1: Likewise, yes. I did think it was fun. All right, listener. That's it for us. That's it for you, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day, and goodbye.
2: Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report Limitations Apply.